What's up, folks? It's Extra Crispy, a podcast of curious conversations about culture, creativity, and spirituality with me, your host, Crispin Schroeder. So I'm really excited to have the guest on today. I know it's been a a few weeks since I've turned out a podcast. Been so freaking busy lately. Busy with a lot of good stuff. Been doing some recording of some songs for my next project, playing a lot of music at the moment, so you got to take it when it comes down here in Louisiana, and it's a busy season if you're a musician. <laughs> it's a busy city in the uh, season in the church as well. Anyway, on to my next guest. This is a return guest. Uh, he was first featured on our podcast last year. This is Brad Jerzak. I first got to sit down with Brad Jerzak just just about a year ago at a conference up at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. Brad was one of the guest speakers there, and I really wanted to interview him while I was there because I've just learned so much from Brad over the years. I think I just love his take on faith, theology, spirituality, uh, very refreshing stuff that has helped me out over the years. Brad is authored several books. The first book I came across years ago was called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, which I very much recommend. It's it's kind of an exploration of issues related to hell and heaven. Uh, he also wrote a book a couple of years ago called uh, A More Christ-Like God, another fantastic book. And the children's version of that is called Jesus Showed Us, which if you got kids... Uh, this is one of the simplest explanations of you know, Jesus kind of spirituality that, that kids can relate to. And honestly, I think adults can get a lot out of it. <laughs> In addition to all that, Brad is also a professor up at St. Stephen's, uh, and he's going to talk about a new thing they're launching over there. He's, he's actually becoming a dean over there. So anyway, you could hear me go on all day reciting his biography but better to hear from the man himself. So let's get into this conversation with Brad Jerzak. Thank you for listening. Here we have the second time with Brad Jerzak. Last time I was uh, with you, uh, we did a very quick conversation at the end of the uh, Water into Wine conference at uh, Brian Zahn's church, uh, Word of Life, back just not just a few weeks after, uh, I guess in June last year. So it's almost like an anniversary episode here with you, but uh, we tried to cram a lot of stuff into about 30 minutes, and so... Yeah, that was really quite intense and seemed like it was fruitful too. So I'm glad to be back. It is. It, maybe we need to put some pressure on this thing. You know, I, I, oftentimes that uh, that causes the best ideas to come to the fir- surface. So, <laughs> so what you been up to uh, 
Over well, this I've last been year. Uh, I've been working on a couple of projects. Uh, one is that I am going to be the incoming dean of the graduate studies program or the Master of Ministries program at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick. And so I'm getting all my syllabi ready for that and sort of shaping the program with the outgoing dean. And it's a good opportunity for me to recruit some more students, I suppose. Uh, we run this program where you just come in three times to the school for two weeks. And then there's a travel module beyond that. And somebody who wants to do that wouldn't have to move or quit their job and yet they could get a, a Master of Ministries degree or a Master of Arts in Theology and Culture. And so uh, I've been busy getting that ready and we've got folks signing up for this fall already. Uh, the first module is this September. So that's one exciting thing I'm up to. Cool. And uh, the other is I'm, I'm working on a couple of book projects. I'm finishing up a more Christ-like way, which is the sequel to a more Christ-like God. And so we're just in the editing stages now, and that'll be ready for September. And I'm also uh, plugging away at the edits on a side book, a little book called In. And I think this might be the first time I'm announcing it publicly. And the idea behind the word in is we're going to be talking about Christ's unique revelation of God's all-inclusive love. And so that's perhaps one of the things we can chat about today as well. That, that's an important topic to me, how wow. God loves and includes everyone. And yet, where does Christ fit into that in terms of his unique revelation and incarnation? So those are, those are some of the writing projects I'm up to. And I when's, when's that book coming out? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that could even, it'll be this year for sure. In fact, it might even beat the other one. And in fact, I'm hoping um, that it'll be the first time I do an audio book with my own voice. And so that should be fun. Well, you know, I know a guy who uh, recorded one audio book. It's yet to be published. So I don't know if I did very good with it yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just got to upload it, my friend. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I got together with... I, I made this comment when I first met Jonathan Martin about a year and a half ago. We were hanging out. I was like, man, you know, you got shipwrecked on an audio book? And he's like, no. I said, well, you know, I just threw it out there. I was like, well, I could help. Never having done that, which is how I get into most stuff in life, I think. But uh, yeah. And it, it, it turns out there was a little bit more to it than I was thinking. So we send it off to Zondervan and they're trying to make sense out of it, I think. But we'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully okay. I hope it's easier than that for me. We'll see. I, I, you never know. Could could sink in the water too, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think I learned some things. That, that's what I, I like to think of every experience that I do is it's, it, you're always in school. So if you keep that attitude... <laughs> But I, I really am fascinated about the, this idea that you're talking about because I know, uh, you know, even hearing you speak last summer at the Water to Wine conference, uh, I know you you said several things along this line of, of kind of this idea of inclusiveness of Christ. Uh, let's talk about that for a few minutes or, or maybe the whole episode. You know, we'll I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm trying to do is I, I, I'm observing this conversation that's happening, and the conversation is between 
these two ideas that I believe are actually inseparable, but they seem to be polarizing in a lot of the conversations. So on the one hand, you have the uniqueness of Christ and all that comes with uh, this, this John fourteen six declaration that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father or to Abba, um, to God as intimate, loving Abba, except through me. So that's a real statement about about the uniqueness of Christ and so much so that he's the only one um, that I believe can say fully uh, to, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So that's a real, that's an instatement. That's a statement about the exclusive claims and person of Jesus Christ. And yet on the other hand, we also have um, this conviction that, Abba's love is all-inclusive, that it extends, it extends to every man, woman, and child on the planet, and somehow that love is, is doing something. It's about saving the world. It's about restoring all things. It's about making all things new. And so all, all, all comes up, including in texts, many texts in the, in the New Testament, such as you know, Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul's super clear that whatever Adam did to the whole human race, Christ will undo and redeem for the whole human race. Race. So you've got this real in, in, inclusive element about, about that. And what I'm seeing in the polarization is that you've got people hunkering down and um, with the uniqueness of Christ and making a Christian ghetto of it. And on the other hand, you've got folks who love the all-inclusivity of God's love to the point where they're sort of walking away from Jesus. And I'm like, Dudes, it's <laughs> these yeah. are two inseparable truths, and uh, so I, I want to explore how that's so, and and how it is that uh, that Christ. Uh, what, there's a big word for this, he, like he, to do a circumference, right? It's all it, yeah. it's in Him that, and I, I know Richard Rohr is trying to work with this. He's trying to talk about you know Christ, uh, the, the cosmic Christ, and. Um, I, I suspect that we need to go further down that road it, back into the fathers like Maximus, the confessor, who I think actually coined that phrase, the, you know, the cosmic Christ. And, but but it, um, what I'm concerned there about is like, let's, let's not de-link that from the incarnation of Jesus yeah. of Nazareth. That's uh, to me, um, John's super obsessed with that in his epistles, um, that Jesus is the Christ. And the gospel is about that Jesus is the Christ. He is, and, and you don't distinguish them. You, it's one person. So I'm, I'm into all of that stuff right now. Yeah, I, I've been reading a, a ton around this subject. So I know even when we talked briefly yesterday about maybe looking into this a bit, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated on it because I... I do feel like at this point in my journey, as with many of the things that I believed, maybe even early on, you know, kingdom of God, Jesus, incarnation, uh, the the spirit at work, I, I see, it seems in my own experience that, that, that all of those terms have, have expanded quite largely. And I think it's been a very helpful thing in my faith to realize that God is always working everywhere whether people are consciously aware of that or not and it, it's a very different thing from kind of the evangelical tradition that i started in where uh, 
it seemed like, you know, I, I would go to evangelism workshops and, you know, you would you'd be taught on how to convince somebody, you know, the Romans road or, you know, how, how somebody you, you get, you close the deal, you get them to believe something so that they can go somewhere else when they die. And that never, that always felt a bit forced to me. It never felt, it felt very different from what I saw of Jesus in in the New Testament. And I, I think it's, I mean, just even when you think about Jesus didn't really seem to start with belief with people. He, he just, like he didn't lead Peter in the sinner's prayer. He just said, follow me. <laughs> and it was, it was as in following Jesus that Peter learned who God was. And I think that that's, I, I think the thing that, that, that gives me a bit of pause in, in this modern climate is it seems like people on, on both sides still treat Christianity primarily as some ideas to give mental assent to. And I see people who maybe grow up very fundamentalist who reject that and then, but they reject it solely as ideas rather than uh, it seems divorced from an experience of Christ. If that makes any sense. It does. I, so a couple of points on that, um, maybe I'll back into it. So the last thing you said was like around a, a rationalist kind of faith versus an experiential faith. And I, I don't, I don't think that's um, been treated adequately. I, I, th- I think the idea of encountering a person is the whole deal. Yeah. And so the sort of the ex-evangelical fun, former fundies who've walked away from Christ altogether, it leaves me asking, what, what, is this just because you changed some ideas for other ideas or had yeah. you not met the person? Because having met the person, whatever that means to someone. I, I don't understand. I can't conceive of the possibility of walking away from him. Although maybe that's the, that's the impossible possibility, but mostly I'm just seeing folks who probably are letting go of indoctrination. Yeah. They're not, they're not walking away from a person they've known other than, you know, self convincing you know, that, that saying my prayers and reading my Bible is that it's, it's much more than that. And um, so, so that's one element. The other is that uh, in the Gospel of John, there, there is this focus in chapter 14 that you go through Jesus to encounter God. But in earlier in the book, he talks about no one, no one comes to me unless the Father himself invites them. And that's where you get. So sometimes Jesus leads us into an experience of Abba. And sometimes Abba leads us into an experience of Jesus. In other words, the Cornelius story, here's a God-fearer, and prior even to his conversion to Christianity, even before he had heard the gospel once, God's assessment that he, that he lays out for Peter is that, he, is that this man is righteous and clean already, that he, through his prayers, his his pursuit of God, his generous almsgiving, his righteous deeds, and so on, that he is, quote, acceptable to God. And so already um, there is this validation of his journey. 
not a negation of it. Like so often Christians, we want to go like, well, yeah. you know, everything you did in your, in terms of spirituality before you said the sinner's prayer doesn't count. And in fact, you have to renounce it probably. Yeah. And um, so Peter, Peter is instructed not to do that. He, he becomes part of validating the journey up to hearing the gospel. And I love the fact that Peter's conclusion then is not, well, if he's if he's acceptable to God and he's considered righteous, well, then he doesn't need to know about Jesus. No, no, Peter's like, oh, now he's ripe. To, and this is where John Wesley was really forceful. He says, I would come to North America and he meets these indigenous people groups and he realizes they have a real relationship with creator God, who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he tells them about Christ so they can experience the full inheritance of their faith and the full assurance of what's been done for them. And so like with, then with Cornelius, when he hears the gospel, there is a before and after. There is a, there is a, a, a new level of encounter. He's given the spirit of sonship by which he now can come to know this God he's once feared as his intimate Abba. So, so Christ brings something utterly unique to the table, even to those who've already experienced God in some way prior to that. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it, and it seems like if you, if you take that approach, there's a lot more humility in it and, 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 and actually loving people as people rather than, you know, just dealing with them is because, because I, I do feel like some of my experience in my early years, it's almost like you objectify people. I, I heard this joke one time, you know, I'll leave out the particular denomination, but how do you get a person from this church to leave you alone? Well, you, you go up and pray the sinner's prayer and they'll never bother you again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's harsh, yeah. man. But it's like, <laughs> unfortunately true. It's a, in fact, it's a little bit like the, I hate to bring it up, but it's pretty timely. It's like the abortion debate where it's like, well, we got to make sure the, that this baby's born, but once it's born to hell with you, you know, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's very similar to that, isn't it? It's like, once this person's born again, then, well, you're in. So what am I worried about? And, and uh, yeah, you can get left alone. So how have you experienced Christ in your journey? I mean, what, what is it that, uh, because I'm interested, because this seems to be you know, kind of central to, to some of the things you're talking about. What does that look like for you? Yeah, um, I mean, so that, that can be, there can be many versions of this, right? Like our encounters with Christ, even if you look in the New Testament, are just so varied. Um, I would say this, that, that I, ha, I experienced love for Christ and Christ's love for me in a child-like way as a very little kid before I got scared <laughs> into, into the whole conversion narrative. But like, so I, I, I remember somehow, somehow I, I was in an environment where there was an internal witness. And so that, that's, that sounds pretty vague but it was real for me. And so I had a strong sense of that when I'm speaking to God, he's in, in my room and in my heart and he hears me and 
he loves me. And so some, so, 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 so for some people, it's like, I don't know where that came from. Was that from, was that from the environment I was in? Was that just, was that just indoctrination? Or, to me, it was more than ascent. It was certainly an experience, but I'll say that um, later um, this be became profoundly uh, true in terms of the whole world of inner healing ministry. Uh, both my experience of inner healing and then also being a midwife in other people's inner healing where you would see um, where how we would do it is we would set up a meeting with the Lord. We would say, okay, what are you struggling with? And whether they were a Christian or not, uh, by profession, we could say, we believe Jesus Christ wants to meet you in this pain. And he actually, he's going to, we believe he wants to open the eyes of your heart to see him where, uh, where he will enter your closets and your, the darkness of your abyss and so on. And in, in the early days, I was just strictly like healing of memories. And so um, what was so convincing about that to me is that you had, you had people who were dramatically broken and, and then in prayer, they would encounter Christ in their hearts, in, in the places where the memories were stored. Like the events are done and gone, right? But yeah. your heart is where our, our, our trauma is, where we carry our trauma. And especially um, when we began, it was strictly about sexual assault. Uh, later, we expanded into other areas. But over and over again, Christ would show up in the, in the memories where somebody had been molested or raped or whatever. And, and then what he would do, what he would show them was so powerfully real that even as the person is speaking about what the Lord's saying, we're all getting like hot flashes and our hair is standing up. And, we, wow. and because, because it resonated as a, as a deep experience of the, of the truth with a capital T. Now, I mean, you could say that's a game, except we saw the transformations happen then. Yeah. And so we had like non-Christian psychologists and clinical counselors telling the kids come into our youth group. It's like, whatever you're doing there, keep doing it. It's, we've not seen this kind of transformation before, you know, it, and, um, and, uh, and so sometimes that transformation would be like a, a heart transformation from desperate bondage to fear and resentment and, and uh, well, really trauma. And then to see them come in like minutes to sometimes, and then other times it was over a longer time, but through fellowship with Christ in their hearts like that, they, they would completely change and be healed. And to the point where, and on quite a number of occasions, as they're saying, I'm watching Jesus in my heart. He's laying his hand on me now. Oh, he's healing me. And then they'd actually have a physical healing. Like wow. in a couple cases, full on um, legally blind people getting their sight back. And like 2020 permanently, you know, wow. and where we could verify it with an ophthalmologist. And there he's like, how did this happen? Well, in their heart, they looked at Jesus and he laid his hand on them. I've seen this uh, a number of cases where uh, uh, people with... Um, also, let's say diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, where the, where he's healed the disease in their body. Wow. Through, so I'm like, okay, that's a kind of encounter, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then what we, where we expanded from there was like, 
well, wait a minute. What if, what if he doesn't only show up in our hearts like that for trauma? What if it would be like for friendship? What if it's for belonging? What if it's for loneliness? What if it's, and so for now, uh, let's see, since I guess since about 1990, we've been just setting up, up these encounters. And it's so, I mean, if Christ is real, if he's alive, if it's an actual person who cares about people, then it shouldn't be much. It's not rocket science to say, okay, let's make an appointment to meet with Jesus on, you know, Thursday at two work for you, you know? And, <laughs> and so, I mean, that's been, that's been a big part of, I would say I've learned more from sitting in on those than I have, have from my own experiences in my heart. Wow. Just because I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times now. It's like, oh my goodness. Even let's say somebody who's never darkened the door of a church before. I've, I've done this enough that I can experiment with it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'm not afraid anymore. So let's say I go, okay, so I want to use step 11 of the 12-step program. So we would send in these ladies uh, from our church to a recovery house where women were coming off the streets, right? They, I mean, right off the streets. We were talking prostitutes, homeless, so on, not churchgoers. And they would teach them how to meet Christ in their hearts like this, look him in the face, experience his love and his touch, and, and begin to listen to him. And we could even just sometimes say, you know, we could tell you the good news, but hey, Jesus, why don't you tell them the good news? Wow. And we'd say, now listen to what he says, and you tell us, and we'll make sure it's him, you know. And they'd say, oh, my goodness, he's telling me that he forgives me for everything I've done. He wants to wash me clean. He wants to take away my shame. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably him. You know? <laughs> so so I, I just feel like I've seen this even, let's say, in a 12-step recovery with people who aren't Christians in ways that quite often there's just been no delivery system for that in churches. So, I mean, some churches, but... That's just not, a, you know, that you're a church person doesn't guarantee it. And that you're not a church person doesn't make it, you know, impossible. But the, the thing is about encountering Jesus. So I, I'm like super committed to that. I've seen the fruit. I can't unsee yeah. it now. I, I think it's inter interesting you bring up the 12 steps because uh, I read a good bit about uh, Bill W. And, and his journey and it's, it's interesting just even in the, you know, the, the first three steps, uh, you know, admitting that you have a problem and then, it, you know, coming to believe that there's a power greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity and then turning over your, your will and your life to the, to the care of God as you understand God, which, gosh, there's just so much wisdom just in that right there. But I get the feeling when I read about Bill Wilson because he had, you know, this encounter with God in, in a hospital, you know, one of his various times that he'd been checked in for rehab. And that was so fundamental to him actually getting sober. And that it's, it's a fascinating thing that, you know, the 12 steps in and of themselves are powerful, but if you actually have an encounter with God, that's, that seems to push that whole dynamic over the edge. It's one thing to, you know, submit your life to the, to, to God as you understand God. But boy, that's, that's certainly an easier thing to do if you actually have an encounter with God. And it's not just, you know, <laughs> a mental thing, which, which I think for a lot of people it is, but in, in, and that's better than nothing, but boy, you can have yeah, that experience. experience. That's, 
That's right. I, what I see in the, in, in the 12 Steps of Recovery is I actually see two things I, in terms of God. One is that there, they, as much as they deny it, they do have a theology of God, and it's a really clean one that is completely Christ-like. Yeah. And it is this, that the theology of AA, etc., is is that God is loving, caring, and forgiving, period. You know, and you can pray to him and he will listen and respond to you. So that that's their theology um, if in terms of what you read, not just between the lines, but the actual program. And then you have this other thing, the God of my understanding or my higher power. And that's more about my where I'm at in my conception of God this day. And it seems yeah. to me the program is about walking you walking you from your broken images of God um, towards a Christ-like image of God. And this is where step 11 is super important. Through prayer and meditation, we sought to improve our conscious contact with the God of our understanding. So there's this idea of that, yeah, when you first start, maybe you've got like, um, you know, oh, the principles of the program, that's my higher power. Or the group's my higher power. It's like, well, yeah, okay. But guess what? You don't pray to the group. Yeah. You don't pray to the principles. There is this loving, caring, forgiving one out there. And so it's kind of like, frankly, I think it's Methodism. With Christ, Christ is the anonymous one. He comes to them as the as the life and the word and the deliverer and all of these things and and, and they're just hesitate to hesitant to use the word Christ because that has been a stumbling stone because of Christians. Yeah. You know? And in fact, I see no retribution in the nature of God in Orthodox Christianity. And I see no retribution in the nature of God in twelve step um, recovery. But you do have a history of retributive theologies um, across many church streams. And I think that's one of the things about the program is like they, they want to, they would rather, they would rather not have that stuff imported or smuggled in, I should say, yeah. right? We're going to smuggle in, we're going to make this a better program by making Jesus the higher power. Oh, and by the way, if you don't go with this, you go to hell forever. It's like, no, <laughs> like that's, so, so I feel like at times the, the, gene- the generic sounding God of AA is like way more Christ-like than many Christian theologies, if that makes sense. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think there's something wonderful to the recovery model because, um, you know, part of my frustration as a pastor for the last 10 years or well, I've been in pastoral ministry for much longer than that, but it seems that we have so made Christianity into a religious good and service. And, you know, you can't escape how much consumerism and, and media and technology, you know, has, has shaped us and shaped our expectations of what church is. So it's, it is, an interesting thing to me that, you know, the way that AA starts out or recovery is, you know, everybody who's there is there because they know they're broken. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of I I'm coming here to hear an inspirational word and, you know, um, you know, hopefully get something out of the sermon and have, have a, you know, 
good experience in worship. It's it's really like they're starting from the place of we're coming here because we all admit that that we're broken people. Or even if you don't admit you're broken, you know that's why everybody's there. <laughs> and if you keep coming back, you'll probably come to admit that after you hear enough stories. But uh, what a, what a wonderful. I, I just love, you know, even even the parallels between that and the, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, like th- this is this is the entryway into the kingdom. This is where it starts. You don't you don't get to move to step eleven. You you start with being poor in spirit. Yeah, that's so awesome. Because like last time I did a step five, I, I I go through the steps myself over and over through the last ten years. And last time I did a step five, I de- I deliberately picked this old veteran. Like this guy, this guy is amazing. Um. I guess I got to keep things pretty anonymous here. So, um, um, but okay. So what I can tell you is that, that in one of the fellowships, he's like over 25 years sober. I can tell you that he doesn't, he, he's, he's actually like, he wants nothing to do with Christianity or the church. Um, but at the same time, he's reading from the Sermon on the Mount every day. <laughs> and wow. he, and he, and he says so here's a here here's a what we would call a non-christian right he's saying the beatitudes are the are the are the uh foundation of recovery it is the original recovery program and i'm mm. like oh my goodness so he's really seen it right wow. he, he just he just bought me a book about the sermon on the mount you got to read this you know like okay you know <laughs> you're going to see how the steps work with the beatitudes and you're going to, and I'm like, well, why is that? And he said, Oh, it's because it's about the crucifixion of the ego and it's about surrender to the God that Jesus shows us. I'm like, are you sure you're not a Christian? He's like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but wait a minute. Isn't that that parable in Matthew where there's two sons, right? And the father says, Hey, I want you to go to the field. The one guy says, no, I won't. But then he does. And the other guy says, yes, I will. But then he doesn't. And I just mm. think there's those who, pro- the, the parable is about those who proclaim Christ with their lips, but don't follow him in their lives. And then there's those who like, uh, aren't so sure about like their Christology <laughs> or, or yeah. Christianity, but they actually, their lives, their lives show that they're truly following. And the, who's the wise man who builds his house on the rock? It's the one who hears his words and does what he says. Well, my friend is totally doing that. And I, I'm afraid I know some pastors who definitely don't do that. <laughs> yep. Of who I was the chief, you know. Yes. I say was not because I've started being a good follower, but because I'm not a pastor anymore. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I, you know, I, I, I've been interested and I've, I've explored this concept a bit on, and, and I'd like to, to get your thoughts. I've explored this a bit in some, some past episodes, but, um, you know, just kind of riffing off of this idea of the experience of Christ. Um, it, it seems that, you know, mysticism is starting to make a bit, bit of a comeback in, in Christianity. Um, and, and it seems like there are people that, you know, are prone to go down that journey. There are some who gravitate towards religion. Um, and yet there seems to be pitfalls on both sides. You got any thoughts on mysticism, religion, and also the the factor of 
Christian community? Because it, it seems like all three of these things are important, but they all have the potential to, to go south in some, some big ways. Sure. And, and probably to that list, we would want to add activism too, right? And activism. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think, okay, I think the, the, the way to deal with mysticism is, is to say, what are the, what mysticism, what is the claim of mysticism? Um, first of all, like I think the basic claim of mysticism is, uh, is direct, um, direct encounter with the mystery who, whatever the, your mystery is. Yeah. And so the idea the, in ancient, in ancient times, Christian mysticism was really not saying anything more than evangelicals have claimed. It was saying we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what mysticism meant. Yeah. And it was as it was over, it was about direct encounter and it was over against scholasticism and scholasticism um, wasn't just about being rationalists. Scholasticism was also about, you no, know, you can't have a direct experience of God. It's always mediated. It's mediated through a priest. It's mediated through religious functions. It's mediated through the, you know, you name it, the scriptures even. And so, and that is where evangelicals became unmystical. It's like, no, you don't really hear God, hear God. You only hear God through the scriptures. Ah. So that's the difference then. And I'm like, okay, if that's what we mean by mysticism, sign me up. And I would say that's the only way forward. And even in your activism, an activist who doesn't have a contemplative experience can become quite red-eyed and angry over time and burn out. But I think I've never that, seen that before. <laughs> but the, but the, but but the activists I know who have been in it for fifteen or thirty or fifty years, like how, how did they not burn out? Oh, it's because they have a deep contemplative well they're drawing from. And I think also the, the contemplatives that don't have a that don't have an activist outlet end up, you know, becoming navel gazers, and they they end up ghettoing in their own hearts just as badly as they would in a church or something like that. And so there's something about like a mysticism that doesn't that isn't expressed as love of neighbor and love of the poor and love of the you know. Um, that's going to be problematic. So I, I think what we'd want is we'd want a holistic kind of faith, wouldn't we? Where it's where there, where, where we're in touch with the mystery of, of God in Christ, and we're and we're in touch with the world around us, uh, our neighbor and our environment, for example. And um, and then even the scholastic side, it's like, oh, okay, like yeah, I want to, I want to know, I want to think deeply and and reflect on these mysteries but that's where our theology needs to come from you don't compose theology in the corner of a university closet somewhere you the best theology is a response to what you see god doing uh in the worshiping spirit-filled body of you know alive in this world i think that's the best approach to theology it's reflective rather than prescriptive well, and how does how do you think religion can aid this or get in the way of that? So, it, um, I there's really two uses of that word religion, and I think, and people tend to 
like say religion is this or religion is that religion is good religion is bad and then there you get in this debate about religion and i just think well let's honor how is the word being used and so here's two uses um one use of the word is like more neutral and even maybe positive and that would be faith practices whatever your regular faith practices are that's your religion that's what like someone like brian zond means by it that my my religion i'm deeply religious because my faith practices include you know and then it would be like prayer that's 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 a religious faith practice and then you could do that in a hypocritical way or you could do it in a really fruitful way so james says oh there is a pure religion it looks like feeding feeding orphans and taking care of widows and that's pure and undefiled religion so he's not using religion in pejoratively he's just saying you could you know like you could also do like the religion of the pharisees where they're doing all these faith practices but but there's no love in it and that's like not just useless it's dangerous yeah so that's one use of religion and so in that sense i i have a, i'm very religious you know i i pray all the time and i I attend a monastery where I like to light. I just lit a candle, by the way. So I just lit a candle here, and that's part of my prayer life, and 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 so on. So I got these <clears throat> scripture reading. That's a faith practice. So okay, I'm religious in that sense. But but we've also got this other negative sense of religion, and it and it started probably when um, when Soren Kierkegaard in the 1800s, and then Bart and Bonhoeffer. Um, uh, later, when they started seeing how the folks that were religious as over against uh, re religion versus revelation or religion versus versus relationship. And, and so in that sense, uh, I think uh, what they meant by it was religiosity. Yeah. And, and, and so you could almost say that let's say 12 step recovery, which by the way, okay, that goes on my list of how I've experienced God, right? Well, 12, yeah. st the 12 steps are religious in the sense that they're a, they are a practice that orients you towards surrender to the love of God. Well, if that's what you mean, good. But often religion is like the religiosity um, that you get in Isaiah 58, where these guys are doing like they're fasting and they're, they're wearing sackcloth and ashes and it's all BS. <laughs> you know? yeah. And he's saying, here's like in Isaiah 58, also Amos, he's like, get away with, get away from me with this stuff. I don't want this stuff. I don't, this, the, your sacrifices uh, smell like they're a stench to my nostrils, the, the religion I'm looking for. And so again, it's, or the justice I'm looking for, the justice I'm looking for is it's about freeing people and releasing them and so on. And so when, when, when any faith practice um, becomes devoid of love, it's just a, like a complete hindrance. It, it becomes a stumbling stone and a burden. And it's just the next thing to, to be delivered from probably. And how about community? as far as these religion and, you know, these things are concerned. Yeah. I think, uh, in our day, especially when there's so many who've been exiting, exiting the, the congregations, the congregational church, they can end up identifying like church equals religion equals bad, you know? And I'm like, well, I, okay, I get it. But here's, I also know this, that a, 
that uh, one of the a deeply human need that the gospel addresses is the need for belonging and the need to come out of alienation into belonging and, and to come out of like loneliness into fellowship. And that, that's actually, and so you have this, Christ forms this community where that's meant to happen. And sadly, a lot of people, they've experienced their greatest wounding in that various, you know, that, that very community. And so I, you know, when they leave all wounded and stuff, I get it. I get it. You know, the, the place that was supposed to be a community of love has failed you. Now, to be fair, I've also heard enough stories. I've been around a bit, you know, and I hear enough stories about, yeah, the church really screwed me. And I left, well, tell me how they screwed you. And then they, they just tell me about how they didn't get their way. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I see. The, and sometimes it's the, the pastor wasn't fundamentalist enough for me. Yeah. He was like, he was preaching too much love and I want him to like, he needs to be standing up against sin and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and so what did you do? Well, I left. I'm like, well, where do you go now? Nowhere. <laughs> well, what's your faith community? I don't have one. I'm like, well, that helps, <laughs> you know? So, um, so I want to, I, I want to say that I like, how do we learn to grow in love except in, in some kind of community where, and, and what, and also, if we want to be a, a hospitable community, and so, like, you see Christ, he doesn't really associate his project with the synagogues so much as with the table fellowship. Yeah. And if we want to, our, I like to think of the church as creating a table, setting up a table, and, and then inviting people to the table, and it's Christ's table, and we're to call them to that table, and we're to... to serve what he's given us to serve and all of that stuff. Right. But if, if we just don't even have a table anymore, I don't, that seems like a strange kind of liberation to me. It's, uh, it's troubling. And, and so I, I think if we're going to be a hospitable table, we better be prepared to see who, if Jesus invites his friends and they tend to be the poor, the broken and the, you know, the, well, guess what? If you're successful at that, guess what kind of church you're going to have? <laughs> a bunch of broken people. Well, of course you're going to get hurt. This is how we, this is how the, the ego dies and how love grows. But yeah, there's no doubt it's a challenge. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, I think uh, church has been the, the hardest thing and the, the most life-giving thing <laughs> in my yeah. life. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, Brian calls it an alternative society, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and it it is meant to be like if it's about anything, it is meant to be about about uh, love and care and forgiveness. And we're frankly we're not real great at it, but it is it is a greenhouse for us to learn it and then take it into the the broader world rather than ghettoizing it, you know. Oh yeah, had enough of that. So I, I, I know last, just kind of riffing off this, this table stuff that you were saying, uh, I know last year when I heard you at the um, Water into Wine conference, you, you spoke on Sunday morning at, at Zahn's church about, I think you did. Gosh, I've heard so much since then. <laughs> I, I think you did. Um the the uh, what are your views on like the 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 communion t 
table and 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 the inclusiveness of Christ? What's that look like? Well, give me your perspective. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you two perspectives. One is my one. Oh, 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 I'm going to start with um, with where my tradition is right now. Uh, the tradition I'm in, the Orthodox tra- tradition, and I would say, unfortunately, has a closed table in the sense that. Um, they don't welcome all to the table. They welcome all to the table who they, who who are convinced that it's not just crackers and juice. Gotcha. You know, and so I understand why they do that because in in that model, it's a covenant meal where you're partaking of Christ Himself in a mysterious way, not a literal way. They don't believe it turns into skin cells and blood cells. But when they pray that the Holy Spirit would come and, and, and make this bread his true body and make this, make this wine his true blood, they don't mean literal, they mean true, though, in the same way that God was in human flesh without it ceasing to be flesh, so too God, Christ, is in this bread and wine without it ceasing to be actual bread and wine. So, okay, so if you, so if you don't believe that, they're like, why would you take it, and why would we, why would we give it to you? It would be like going to get baptized without becoming a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, well, then that you're not getting baptized; you're just having a bath. <laughs> and so, so that's why that's why they restrict it. And 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 I, so I understand that. I just think there there's another way to look at it, and that is, if it's not about, if it's not about the covenant the covenant meal of those who believe that it's Christ. Um, you could also have the model of a, that it's the open table where Christ invited people to come. And when I wrote um, um, Kissing the Leper back in the day, I wrote a, a whole chapter on that, the, the open table idea. And so what happened there was we weren't even saying you need to be a believer to take of this table, much less believe that it somehow truly is bread and his blood. But um, what would happen frequently, like frequently, someone would, they'd be visiting our church and then, and we'd have these people at the communion table serving. And, and, and then someone would go up and, and I'm like, man, I don't think that guy's a Christian. <laughs> but the people at the table would say this, this is his body for your healing. Do you need it? Yes. And then they would, if they, then they could take it. This is his blood that washes away sins. Do you need it? Yes. And it, and I think we had a number of conversions at the communion table because what did they do there in the moment they confessed that this is the Christ and that they need, they need his healing and they need his forgiveness and they receive it now. And, And I'm like, well then my goodness, we're, we're not, policemen we're priests give it's not yeah. our it's not ours to withhold right and so that's a tension i live with in the orthodox church because i you know i'm not a priest anyway it's not in my it's not it's above my pay grade to decide what happens with communion there it's an old old tradition that has its reasons um but i'm just saying i uh, i do appreciate this idea of the open table now the way we work it in the Orthodox Church is that after the Eucharist, 
we do have the big love feast and it definitely everyone's welcome. And so that is part of our worship and it would be where the open table is manifest. So we have a huge potluck meal every single Sunday and it is really, yeah. And it's called the agape meal. Wow. And, and it's like what you see in first Corinthians where, where Paul's all worried. Cause they're like, some people are hoarding the food and some people are drinking too much. You know, well, how does that happen? Unless there's a lot of food and stuff to drink. <laughs> so at our agape meals, we have a lot of food and stuff to drink. And I, what I've noticed, especially with Archbishop Lazar, is when he knows that someone's a visitor, when he knows somebody's a marginal person, let's say um, when, he, when a gay couple shows up, for example, he makes sure that they sit at the head table with him and that they're an honored guest. And so, so in spite of the closed Eucharist practice, you've got the open agape meal practice. So I, I like that part of it. I think it's interesting. I've I, I just found myself in this, the Lent season that we just came through, you know, reflecting a lot about the, uh, when Jesus actually introduced the Eucharist. And it, it is interesting that it doesn't seem like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like the disciples really understood much of what was happening because, you know, because they start arguing about who's the greatest right after it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird, uh, you know, interesting thing to think like, gosh, you know, Jesus is introducing this, this very sacred, um, sacrament that has been observed by Christians for 2000 years, which is really pointing to what is just about to happen. And I can, I just feel this tension between where Jesus must've been emotionally and these disciples that just they don't get it. Like, oh, okay. And then, well, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? <laughs> yeah. And, and what, are, what are the implications of this? Here's something to meditate on. Jesus doesn't dismiss Judas until yeah. he's received it too. Uh. <laughs> like if we're going to, if you're going to talk, you know, and, and Judas is the one guy who gets it maybe not yeah. in, in the sense that he knows where this is headed. He does, yeah. Not not entirely, but like no one else knows. There's a an arrest happening, and a, and and uh, even Judas may not have understood it was heading to crucifixion. But definitely, he's like the gravity of the night would have been. That's the one thing him and Jesus only <laughs> shared. That's that's a, uh, and everyone else is kind of in their own space. It's a fascinating meditation, actually. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing that that just um, really, I, I think the more I go on in my journey, just, I, and I, I think I'm just fresh off of thinking about a lot of these things coming through Lent and Easter, just how much, even after Christ is risen, how every time somebody experiences the revelation of the risen Christ, it's, it's not like it's out of nowhere. They wake up to how God has been working, has, has been there the whole time. And that, and surely that must've been a lot of the experiences of the disciples after the resurrection, looking back on that meal that, Oh, you know, like, they, like the idea that this isn't just some, idea or truth coming out of context, but no, this is, this has actually been, God's been in this whole story. And I think that's one of the profound things in, in my life of, of even just encounters with God over the last couple of years. It's just this sense of 
you know, it's, it's never something completely foreign. It's just something that I, I haven't been awakened to. And then it's like, oh, you know, you, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's part of what, where um, the whole pre-Christian experience, like, are, are you really, is there really a time uh, before Christ? It's like, wait, I, th- I think your spiritual journey started at the very latest. <laughs> it started in the incarnation. And, and then, so, so you're already there and and you don't even know it. And then um, my experience with a lot of folks who are sort of the Cornelius style of approaches is is they can, I I love asking this question. I'll, I'll I'll say it this way. I'll say, um, let's say they bring up anything to do with spirituality of any kind, you know, and then I'll say, Oh, you, 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 you sound like a spiritual person. And they're like, oh, yes, yes, I'm a very spiritual person. And it's like, I, I'll bet you've met God. And a lot of times they'll say, mm, I don't know. Or they'll say, yeah, I did. And they'll tell me. And I can, I can go, wow. Or if they haven't, I'll say, could I ask God to show you and remind you of a time when you met him? And they're like, oh, uh, okay. Like now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just close your eyes. I'm going to say, hey, God, show them a time when you've already met them. And like, I've never had them not see something. And then, um, and then maybe that's an opportunity for me to say, you know, this person has encountered the light. And then, and, and, and many of them have already heard the voice. So I'm, I'm thinking in my head, light with a capital L, as in John chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, the word that they've heard with a capital W as in John chapter one. And now at some point I may be the witness who says, by the way, the light you met and the word you heard became like actually came as Jesus. And now that's a, that's still, they're still like often thinking, really? That's the same. And I'm like, well, what did the word, what did the light show you? And what did the word tell you? And if, and if it sounds like Christ, I'm like, Dude, I'm, you may not believe me, but I'm just saying that's the Christ I know um, is the perfect expression of exactly what you experienced and willing to take you deeper, which is where the whole Abba, experiencing God as Abba at a deeper level becomes important. So, so I'm like, the, often the word and the light will come years and years before the name because the name's been besmirched by the church. And God's not willing to wait for that to be okay to start a relationship with them. So he does. Wow. <laughs> That's so good. Can I tell you a story about that? Um, yes. Do we have time? I, I, so I met, I met an addict who, who was um, not a Christian, had been in the program for 10 years. And uh, I said, tell me about your higher power. And, and this person had had an overdose. And, um, and, and felt her spirit leaving her body. And she could actually look back and she was watching her body go further and further away. And then she turned to turned from her body and she saw a light and then she reached out to the light. And then she said, the light entered me. And then the paramedics revived me. And I'm like, so where's the light now in my heart? Wow. And she said, I I talk to the light every day. I listened to the voice of the light. The lights helped me to recover. And, um, and, 
And I'm like, that's like for 10 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. A daily relationship with this light that saved your life. And I'm like, wow. can, can I just tell you something? It's like, um, I know. And all of her negative experiences around God, she, she would talk about the lighter or higher power, but she didn't like Christians because her whole experience of Christians had been, uh, she'd been treated with contempt by her Christian neighbors who dragged her to church eventually as a kid where she was molested by the janitor. Mm. Well, sorry if she doesn't call Jesus her higher power, yeah. <laughs> but, but so, so now for 10 years, she's been getting to know him under the name light. And then I'm like, let me tell you about when the light came as a man, how he treated women. And I told her the story of the, of the, um, the woman at the well, and the woman caught in adultery. I'm like, when the light came as a man, that's how he treated women. He didn't treat them like you were treated, you know? And so now she's thinking about that. But like, while she's thinking about that, she's still having her daily conversations with the light. And I imagine when in the right moment, the light will reveal that his name is Jesus Christ. And I think he's willing to risk waiting on that. Um mm. Um, so that, that she can grow. But then I do think there'll be a point when if, if she'll take that next step, I think there'll be even a, a much more expansive relationship that'll, that'll happen too. But it, we're all on the way, I guess. Well, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it really seems, you know, I mean, I know back in the early 2000s, the, the new atheist movement was really, gaining a lot of steam particularly with youtube and you know a lot of these ideas were that people wouldn't have normally been exposed to like they, they start checking them out and you know I've, I've had conversations with several of my friends that yeah you know first time you hear sam harris the dude's sharp no doubt you know and he's <laughs> and uh but uh it's i think it actually takes a lot more faith to believe that consciousness and all these th you know the, the greatest things in life you know aren't really things you know the, the the things that you know love and consciousness and and awareness uh, that that just emerged from just some cosmic accident I think that is so counterintuitive to anybody's experiences just with just regular old transcendence, you know, that you would experience just walking in nature or listening to music or, you know, staring at a, a, a great painting or hearing poetry or something, you know, the things that, that move us. And it's, it is interesting. I've, I've noticed even with Sam Harris that on his podcast, you know, for the last few months, he's, you know, he's been starting off with, with these, uh, you know, daily meditation things, you know, he'll spend six or seven minutes, you know, on his podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I even got his app, you know, I got his meditation <laughs> app. I, I'm like, I kind of don't use it, but it's kind of cool to have him on my phone. Cause like, you know what, what's going to happen if he has people opening their hearts up? Absolutely. <laughs> seekers find. And I think this has been a Christian fear that, that seekers get demonized. It's like, yeah. no, seekers find that's Jesus said that. You know, so you, you open up a Sam Harris app and you ask for fish. Are you going to get a scorpion? Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you will, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, it seems to me like seeking and openness 
And receptivity is something the Holy Spirit pours himself into. Absolutely. And it, and it, it does seem... Yeah, well, and, and I, I think even for somebody like Sam Harris, who's such a committed... I mean, he's he's very invested in naturalism, materialism. Um, but I, I, I got to think, you, you can't keep having these kinds of experiences with transcendence with with reflection with contemplation like when you keep moving down that road okay now you're outside of materialism you're outside of you know you're 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 wading in in some deeper waters and and i i think at some point like it 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 becomes impossible to to just or maybe not impossible just improbable at least to 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 keep so entrenched in that because i th- i think people are genuinely uh, hungry and, and, and know that there is more than this. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I like, so I want to be super clear. I'm not a syncretist. That is, I don't like promote, um, the, the, the mingling of Christianity with, with other stuff. But <laughs> having said that, I'm, um, I remember Paul Young's, scene in the shack where where Christ is talking about how much he loves these people from other faiths right and 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 the main character max says does that mean all roads lead to you and i love that this is just an inspired answer i think he, young has uh, jesus say not at all most lo- most roads don't lead anywhere <laughs> what it does mean is that i will travel any road to find you Oh, you know, so I'm not saying I'm not, let's say, for example, I'm not trying to, to say, hey, Christians, you should all like join a Tai Chi and sort of blend your Christianity with Eastern, Eastern uh, spiritualism. Uh, What I am saying is that, you know, my friend Scott Erickson, Scott, the painter. Yeah. um, You know, he, he has a friend who practiced Tai Chi for 30 years. And during that time, began to hear a voice in the context of his Tai Chi meditations. And one day he heard someone reading from the book of Romans and he goes, Oh my goodness, that's the voice I've been hearing for 30 years. And Mm -hmm. he ends up reading, buying a Bible and reading Romans and becoming a Christian. And it's like, so go sign up for Tai Chi. No, but expect that somebody that, that, that folks who are, have their own strange spiritual practices or whatever they are, um, that, that Christ is out there on the roads, you know, looking for every, you know, he, he's not afraid to go look for them there and to start speaking to them there and opening their heart there. And who knows, who knows one day they'll hear the name and have a witness like Scott come along and, yeah. and, um, and, and then it will connect. And like you were saying before, then you look back and go, Oh my goodness, he was with me the whole time. It's like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think possibly the the only the worst thing you can do is just to to be indifferent to seeking you know like i i think if you if you're wherever you're at you know whatever background belief or non-belief whatever religious tradition um to just be indifferent to the spiritual journey and and not even put anything into it i think that's probably one of the worst places to be but i think if you if you genuinely are seeking truth, I, I think you're going to have an encounter with truth. You know, you know, you will, you will come into, um, you will, ex- you will bump into the reality that holds everything together. Yeah. At the very worst, 
I think you will have an encounter. <laughs> and then you can weigh and test. Is this encounter loving, yeah. caring, and forgiving? Or does it create bondage and blah, blah, blah? Well, okay, then run away from it then. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not, again, this discernment thing, we've made it like this big rocket science thing. It's like just not, it's not that complicated if, if we think in terms of love, care, and forgiveness versus condemnation, accusation, and enslavement. Like how hard is that to d distinguish, right? And sometimes we'll have to think of the, the wheat and tares grow together for a while until you can sort it out. But it's like I'm not too aggressive about that. I can just say, hey, did it sound like love? Well, and, and, and that's why I, I would like to plug, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite Brad Jerzak books is your children's book, Jesus Showed Us, which I think that's a great one just for anybody to read <laughs> because it kind of makes that point. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You know, like I, really, yeah, the, the basics of that book are uh, it asks on every page, what is God like? It answers on every page, Jesus showed us. And it, and, and it explains on every page, Jesus showed us that God is love. And so every page of the book is a gospel story or a gospel experience where that's that Jesus is showing us that God is love. And um, I love that um, some of the Orthodox churches have picked it up and stuff, but what's it? Cause, cause they agree, but also uh, Paul Young was, did a nice plug for it. He said, it's the best adult retraining book he's seen. So it's never mind yeah. the kids. It's like, as the adults are reading it, I'm hoping that they're overhearing something that cleanses their image of God and brings them back to childlikeness themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, th I think that's the, that's the beauty of it is, is it is just a simple profound explanation that a child can understand. Um, not, not terribly complicated, but that, you know, it's a uh, really good stuff. I actually, I read it to, uh, we, we did that book in, in, uh, my church a couple of years, you know, a while back. <laughs> well, thanks for doing that. Thanks yeah. for the plug too. Oh yeah. Well, we have probably dug sufficiently into um a lot of these matters today. So, uh and man, I'm I'm looking forward to both your your books coming out and I I I really um once again, I just enjoy your your perspective and and your contribution to um to this uh faith and spirituality stuff it's always so good to talk with you brad my pleasure it's uh good to talk to you as well thanks for having me on today yeah well we'll have to do it again before too long uh, i've had a lot of comments on the last episode where we we crammed together whatever we could in 30 minutes and so uh it's nice to be able to stretch out a bit and <laughs> yeah thank Hopefully you we get you back on before too long i'll be back Well, that didn't suck. Not that I thought it would. I <laughs> ah, love me some Brad Jerzak, man. Glad to have him on the podcast. Go, go look him up. He's got all kinds of books on Amazon, and uh, they're all good. Everything I've read by him. So I'm sure we'll get him back here before long. And coming up next few weeks, I'm going to haven't had a lot of musicians on i know this season's been a lot of me just talking and people are probably ready to hear more guests i've only had a, three guests this season 
maybe taking off a little time this summer, but I hope to get in a few uh, spotlights on some fantastic musicians and songwriters here in the next few weeks. And hey, if you could do me a favor, if you haven't done it already, go to iTunes. If you like what you hear, give us five stars. Maybe leave a little paragraph. May take you a few minutes, but uh, uh, it would really help. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, tell somebody else about it. Send this podcast to a friend. Send them an episode. Say, hey, man, check this out. It's going to change your life. Or at least make your commute a little bit more bearable. Well, thanks for listening to X Crispy. I'll catch up with you later. <laughs>